Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Ladies Who Sweat. I am joined by my co-host, Fidos Minder, but also a very special guest, Tammy Beaumont from the England women's cricket team. Tammy, welcome and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, so you're in Mumbai, just arrived from the WBBL ahead of England's uh, series against India. Um, we start off with the T20s. Can you just sort of talk to us a little bit about what it's like sort of being there? You're obviously there as part of the test squad, but we've got these T20s to get done first. What's it like sort of being in and around the the T20 squad? <laughs> I, I think it's a bit of a logistical nightmare for our, our managers and coaches. So um, we as the, the, the test only players train this morning um, as a different venue um, with kind of most of the coaches coming along and then the girls have gone off this afternoon to the uh, the one kitty to, to train ahead of the T20. So training's been kind of separate um, at the moment, uh, but we've had like a few meetings around uh, team culture and reconnecting because um, everyone's kind of been on their own journey for the last kind of few months. So um, we're sort of around, but not quite around. Um, there's a bit of a funny feel at the minute, but um, we're doing what we need to do to be ready for the test. And uh, the girls, I'm sure, are having a good time uh, practicing the T20 stuff ahead of the first T20. Now, tell me, it is quite an interesting, oh, sorry, quite an interesting um, setup now, just from what you've mentioned. And, and you know, those cricket grounds in Mumbai all along that Wadi road on on the Marine Drive. So it, there's a real feeling and a culture of cricket there. And now that the women's game is plugged into that, we're also getting this sense that you could have different players across different formats. Um what does that feel like to know that the game is maybe diverged and diversified? And I, I don't suppose you want to call yourself a, a longer format only player, you know, given how well you did in the shorter formats, especially in the hundred. But does does it feel like the game is specialising that way? Um, yeah, I think that in the future there definitely will be um, format specialists. Um, but yeah, in terms of my own cricket, I think if I saw myself only playing the long format, I would have retired from T Twenty cricket. So obviously, I haven't done that. Um, but yeah, I think the more the more the game that goes on, I think the more it will diversify, and I think there's more talent in every every country. So now you can almost field, um, you know, very different teams depending on the format. Um, I just hope that um, you know the other formats outside of T20 aren't left behind because I think that's a real issue that has happened in the men's game. And I think the good thing about the well, one of the few good things about the women's game being quite a long way behind the men's game still is that we can learn from the mistakes of the men's game and um, obviously the WPL and all the franchise leagues and um, the investment and the amount of money that have come into the women's game are and absolutely amazing and um, some might say overdue um, but also I think we need to protect um, kind of you know where where the games come from and you know you see the men's game talking about 50 over cricket is it even worth doing well if only four nations are playing test cricket in women's cricket, then we have to protect 50 over cricket at all costs um, because the likes of uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, you know, lower down, they're not they're not going to play test cricket for a while anyway. Um, I'd love I'd love to. Uh, I think everyone would love to love to have loads of test playing actions and play big test series, but at the moment that's not reality. But at the same time, if you're just a test match player and you play two test matches a year, you're not playing much cricket. So um, hopefully we can keep and protect um, all formats of cricket and not just um, jump on the wave of T20 and leave everything else behind. 
it almost sounds to me like uh, you, you're kind of saying one day cricket is really the the foundation and and what makes women's cricket grow and prosper and stable. Is that your view on it, or you know, have I understood that correctly? Um, I think it's where you know, if if we're going to say test matches are what we want to like, teams want to play test matches, so we want to push it in the women's game. Um, but realistically, at the mon- at the moment, the money maker is T Twenty and T Twenty franchise cricket in particular. Um, you can't go from T Twenty cricket to Test match cricket. It's so different. Um, I think the only thing that is a is the bridge between the two is fifty over cricket. And um, I think in terms of obviously England, Australia, India um, can afford to put on Test matches that maybe people aren't coming to yet, and invest in the marketing, invest in all of that and put an event on for four or five days. Other um, cricket boards can't afford that. So a 50-over game, they they can do, they can uh, invest in and, and see the game grow. And then when they might be ready to take on test cricket, players know how to potentially build an innings. Yes, not a innings over six hours, over two days or whatever, but actually a longer innings, whereas T20 is only going to go one way of, you know, you've got to go at a strike rate of 150 plus um, from the off. And um, I think there's definitely room for both. Um, but well, for all three, uh, and the hundred, in my opinion. But anyway, <laughs> that's probably another podcast entirely. Um, but I think, yeah, we've got to work with all three formats at the moment um, across the globe and uh, protect all of them. Just um, you mentioned the franchises there, and you've come back from the WBBL. I mean, what was was that like this season? Uh, yeah, obviously I was at the Melbourne Renegades. Um, I was really happy to be back there. I had really fond memories of when I was there in 2019. Um, unfortunately, from a, a performance point of view, both personally and as the team uh, probably didn't go to plan, uh, particularly with the talent in that squad um, to come kind of dead last with not much chance of getting off the bottom, but most of it was was tough. Um, and yeah, a bit of a learning curve to try and um, improve on that next year and um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit gutting, really, because I think it's a very proud franchise, and it's a, a franchise I've been very proud to play for and put on that shirt. And we kind of didn't do the fans or or the kind of uh, backroom staff the justice that um, they probably deserved. And then there's no rest because obviously during this um, T20 series between England and India, we're going to have a WPL um, auction. Um, are you involved in that? And and what are your your thoughts on how that's going to pan out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got my name in the hat. Um, I'd absolutely love to be uh, part of the WPL. Like, honestly, I'd go and just throw balls in the nets as we came through. I think it's a really cool thing to uh, potentially be a part of. But actually, realistically, uh, I think there's only nine overseas spots and a lot of teams have uh, retained their overseas batters. So, yeah, from a realistic point of view, I'm not getting my hopes up, I don't think. But um, should the opportunity come along even to go as a replacement player for a couple of games at the end if there's an injury or whatever I think would be an absolutely amazing experience um but yeah one that I'm not going to hang my hat on and get overly upset about if I'm not involved in it. Yeah, Tell me just on in terms of T20 cricket I mean you've spoken about these two leagues and it sounds like you're quite grounded in in where you stand in terms of opportunities and getting picked up for teams and so on but in terms of playing international T20 again have you got a fairly clear idea of what it is you need to do other than the obvious you know score lots of runs is there some sort of plan as to when and how you may play again um well i think that's up to the the selectors um you know they've got a clear uh, good idea of what their their world cup team 
might look like and um yeah you just got to keep putting your hand up and um you know churn out runs and and put in match winning performances and um yeah obviously didn't do that in the in the WBBL and um yeah just got to kind of keep going and see what happens you never know um but at the same time um you can't control everything there's you know so many good um T20 players in England now and particularly opening the batting everyone's putting their hand up to try and have a go in the power play so um it is what it is and um yeah we'll kind of see what happens and if I got an opportunity it'd be amazing but at the same time um um yeah just keep going really What's it like? Because you've obviously done a lot of commentary work now and um, and sometimes it's on those T20 matches involving England and you've said to yourself you want to still be involved. So, I mean, what's it like when you're commentating on matches that you're hoping to to be involved in? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's actually been probably more difficult commentating on the international games than, say, the 100 games or um, any other England. Well, I've done some England men's games now. Um it's actually probably the most difficult thing, but I think it's about having quite clear principles in, in what I want to be as a commentator. And um, I don't think I'll ever be someone who's overly critical of, of once I, once I finish, I don't think I'll be overly critical of, of former players. And hopefully I'll kind of always, I've always someone who tries to see the positive in everything. So my role in the international game at the moment is, you know, maybe explain why people are making those choices and, you know, also say, oh, you know, they didn't execute it today, but you can see their thinking. You can see why, um, you know, try to build everyone's profile, build the game, because I think there's still a place for that. Um, kind of sharing the dressing room with players. My kind of key principle is if I wouldn't go and say it to their face, I don't say it on air. Because um, at the end of the day, their parents are watching, their families watching at home, friends, anything you do say. And if it's overly critical, overly harsh, and you wouldn't say it to their face, they're going to find out. And um, for me, that's that's not what um, I'm trying to bring. And, and hopefully, yeah, that comes across. Um, but again, if I, I've said to the girls, if I ever do say something on air that you don't agree with, just come and talk to me because I would never want that to uh, jeopardize anything at all. But um, at the same time, you know, I am outside the T20 squad. Um, it only takes an absolute gun opening batter to come along and I'd probably be out with the ice squad as well at some point. And so I've got to think about the future and um, I'm an absolute cricket tragic. Um, everybody knows that self-confessed tr- cricket badger. So uh, potentially working hard um, in a different space in commentary to maybe one day have a career in that after cricket. Um, kind of probably the next best thing to playing and uh, being paid to talk about cricket. So um, I feel like I can't necessarily turn the opportunities down because at the same time, I absolutely love commentating. There's just been a, a few kind of awkward ones where you get asked the tricky questions but um I feel like I've stuck my principles so far and hopefully that's something that I can kind of hang my hat on going forward what's a tricky question (laughs) uh well obviously I I commentated on the the recent England Sri Lanka series and um you know we lost to Sri Lanka having just beaten Australia in two white ball series um Mm -hmm. and there was obviously a lot of um talk about the fact that I either wasn't in the squad or um you know the batting performances in particular um and yeah I kind of it, there was a few comments about you know wouldn't it be good to have a really good player of spin who stood right here or whatever and um you know I just had to had to yeah kind of be honest and say obviously I'd love to be out there but at the same time I understand why I'm not in the squad we want they want to give opportunities to, to younger players like I've played 90 90 20 they know what they're going to get and I think they've seen it 
in the, in the hundred at times and and in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. So they they weren't going to find anything out by picking me. So I kind of just had to say that. But at the same time, it's a little bit awkward when you 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 know your mates are out on the pitch as well. Yeah, I'm sure. And also that Sri Lanka series. Just since we're on that, you know, historic for Sri Lanka. And you've mentioned the the uh, WBBL Chamari Atapatu's had such an amazing run there. She's so central to how, how Sri Lanka do. When you look at a team like that and, and they have one or two big superstars, but then, you know, some young players coming up, does it tell us something about the development of the global game? And I'm sure you didn't enjoy watching England lose, but it must be good to see that there's competition coming from elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the key thing for the future of women's cricket is not having three strong, really strong teams in England, Australia and, and India. Um, I think we need we need the likes of Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, um, New Zealand, and South Africa to come through. Like people don't like we sold out the Ashes because it's a fairly even contest. It's it's exciting to see. You don't know the result of the game before you go there. You don't know who's going to have the impact. Whereas if you turn up to a series and you know that England could just walk all over a lesser team. Why, why would you come and watch? It's predictable. The reason you love sport is you don't know what's going to happen next. That's why people come. They want excitement. Sometimes it's like, you know, your favourite football team. Like people still love love teams that have been in and out of the relegation zone for three years in a row because they love that jeopardy of not quite knowing. And I think that's what that's what the, the global game needs. It needs things like in the men's 50A World Cup that's just gone, the amount of upsets, you know, the Netherlands doing well is absolutely amazing. Um, so I think... In, in, um, international women's cricket needs that and um it's good to see that there is that development going on um but yeah i guess at the same time when you're playing for England, you you just want to make sure you win as well do you think we are seeing some very early signs of a landscape shift or a bit of a closing of the gap shall we say we mentioned sri lanka having that t20 series win here um we've just seen pakistan uh beat new zealand or go to two nil up so be- beating new zealand in their series and then um bangladesh had a win over South Africa, are we starting to see a, a little bit of a shift? Do you think? I think we are seeing that in the subcontinent nations. Um, you know, your Sri Lanka, your Pakistan, your Bangladesh, as you say. Uh, I think New Zealand and South Africa are probably in a bit of a um, rejuvenation cycle. They've kind of South Africa have obviously lost a lot of big name players um, and are kind of bringing through that that new crop. Um, and the same with kind of New Zealand. Um, outside of the kind of Susie Bates, Sophie Vines, um, they kind of have gone very young and they're, they're backing them to, to come good. Um, but I think, yeah, the fact that, that um, Pakistan and, and Sri Lanka in particular are really challenging some of the top teams, um, you know, for, for Pakistan to do it in New Zealand, I think is um, a really big, really big thing. I think quite often um, they've relied on, well, subcontinent teams have relied on subcontinent conditions to play a lot of, a lot of spin and bowl to, you know, the conditions. Um, whereas actually, you know, seeing the likes of Fatima Sana Khan um, doing it a- abroad, I think it's really good to see that they've got some kind of, um, you know, seam bowling stocks as well. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good for the game and certainly good signs with, with a number of teams. So um, putting your commentators hat back on and hopefully not um, putting you in a tight spot. How do you see the T20 series between England and India going in terms of matchups and, and you know, key players and, you know, will home ground advantage play a factor? What, what do you think we're going to see from this series? 
I think it will be a close series. I think um, anytime you're playing in India, it's a, a more tricky. I can tell you from the net I had this morning, it's tricky as the conditions that you're just not used to. Um, so I think that will close close the gap somewhat. I think England are the better T20 outfit overall. Um, but at the same time, India have got some match winners who on their day can just win the game off the bat. You know, if Shafali Verma, Verma has a good day, um, then, you know, England could be in trouble. But no, for me, I think England will be stronger, but I think the games will be close. I mean, you spoke about selling out the Ashes. Uh, and, and we've just seen today that the, the gates will be thrown open for the, the T20s and then there'll be free entry, which is uh, quite a difference in terms of how they're going to attract audiences. Just from the outside, and because you've got this new role as a commentator with, I guess, some kind of element of, you know, this critique to it, what do you think of that? Is it is it great? Like, come on in, everybody, come and watch the game? Or are you worried that, you know, potentially tickets are not being sold? Uh, I think at the moment the, the big moneymaker in women's cricket is broadcast rights, um, and that actually far outweighs bums on seats. That's something that I think the players in the WBBL have kind of had a bit of pushback on in that we're not having that atmosphere in the grounds that say you're getting at the WPL or the 100 um, because you're at maybe on a, a Tuesday at 3pm at, at Junction Over when it's not school holidays or whatever. But actually the the fact that it's a standalone game and there's no other cricket on that day means you're getting more broadcast rights and more uh, money through that. So that's kind of the driver at the moment. So the fact it's on TNT um, is really important and that, that will be kind of selling the games and selling it as a product um i think a little bit still cricket in india um is kind of i think in england and australia now it's like oh cool yeah women's cricket it's just you shrug your shoulders it's normal it's that's not anything overly special about it whereas actually i think cricket is a massive religion in india but i don't necessarily i haven't i haven't been here for four years so i can't necessarily comment but four years ago women's cricket wasn't as normal as you know, if you said, oh, I'm a cricketer, then something like, oh, okay, like, are you? <laughs> like, do you get paid for that sort of comments? But now I think they're starting to see more and more. And um, I think for me, getting getting a big stadium like Vankini, um, like, you know, as full as possible is outweighs um, potentially making money from from ticket sales because you wouldn't, you wouldn't make it like an extortionate ticket price. So you wouldn't make that much from it if you did charge. Um, whereas I think getting bums on seats and then, you know, they might enjoy it. They might come to the test match. Um, and that kind of draws people in. And I think that's the key thing sometimes is getting people to view it and get them to realize that it's a great, um, you know, a great product and something really worth um, watching and coming to again. And then we've got a test match to look forward to after this T20 series. Um, the first test in India for nine years. What are you expecting? You know, is it possible to expect anything when... Um, it, it's been been that long. What, what do you think we're going to see from the test? Uh, I think the big one for me is just to expect the unexpected. Um, I think we won't. We're not going to train at the ground until after uh, the T Twenty series because it's kind of the other side of Mumbai, almost an hour and a half from here. Um, so you know, we're not going to get any clues on whether it's going to turn on day one, whether it's going to be dry, whether you know they're going to do they're going to ask for that so they can pick maybe four four spinners, a couple of seamers, or whether maybe the, the first day they want it to seam around and, and take wickets and then then deteriorate. So we, we don't know about that so much. And then obviously you've got the the challenges. Um, you know, the England A girls were just here and there was an awful lot of illness um, across the camp. So 
you don't know how you're going to deal with that. Um, and then obviously things like heat and um, that kind of thing. I think it's just to expect the unexpected, but I guess that's all part of the fun with Test cricket. And the last time you played a Test, it was a double century for you. Can you talk us through how, when you don't play Test that often, you go about constructing an innings like that? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, actually, when John Lewis called me about selection, he was like, I don't think there's a more informed test player at the moment. I was like, that was six months ago. Like, how do you stay informed? Um, but, yeah, I guess it's one of those where um, you just try and take learnings from, from each test match you play. And um, I think probably the, the four or five of us that are not doing the T20 series will be able to get into that mindset and remember those learnings a little bit easier. I think it's something that you can't just jump straight into. You do have to really think about it and overly, um, I think these days we play so much T20, we play a lot of 50 over cricket, it becomes autonomous. Whereas it's like when you're learning to do things, you have to think about it again. Um, so I think that's quite a big thing, but, um, yeah, the big one is kind of not looking at the big picture all the time. I think particularly at, at Trent bridge when obviously we'd fielded for a day and a half, um, and that final wicket goes, you've got a hundred, uh, 470 to get. And I think if you do that, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot somewhat, whereas actually the most important thing was, right, get through to the next drinks break. Let's just get through the new ball, make sure we don't lose a wicket um, before whatever, like, you know, see the shine off it, right, next thing, next thing. Okay, change your bowler. What are they trying to do? Okay, how can I score off them? How can I do the next bit? How, all right, I get to have a sit down now. It's tea time or whatever. And just kind of constantly just staying in that moment and thinking about that and not um, not too far ahead of yourself. Tell me, there's a thing we, we've been speaking about quite a bit on the podcast with some more women's tests being played and the FTP this time giving more tests to more teams. It's just whether... I almost want to use the word fair, whether it's fair to expect people to play test cricket when they get pretty much no red ball practice. Uh, they don't play over two days, you know, even even a day and a half, let's say. And learning those skills that you speak about, constructing long innings, coming back for a fourth or fifth spell, um, spending hours and hours in the field. If you were to, I mean, I don't know whether administration is part of your future plans, but if you were to pretend to be a cricket administrator for a bit, uh, how would you structure the women's game so that you're getting practice in this format would you I suppose maybe you'd say you don't you don't need to and what can be done so that women are are getting a little bit more access to the taste of test cricket well what a question that is what would I do if I was a cricket administrator this is a tricky one that's next week I'm joking um I think I think you wouldn't have to so say in England at the moment, we've obviously got the eight regions, maybe 10 to 15 professionals um, at each region. And then um, the England kind of uh, 15 to 18 players or so. Um, I reckon you don't need to necessarily get every single one of them playing uh, multi-day matches. I think at the end of the day, you're only ever going to have 11 people play the test matches. Or if you played five in a year, you'd probably only use 15 or 16 players. Um, so I'd maybe go down the model of what the thing the men did a few years ago do like a north south or you know a best v best series um either like a, in the middle of the season that's a, a four-day game or even um you know how they used to go to the uae and do like the mcc versus the the winners or whatever do some kind of north south series that is maybe two two uh multi-format uh, multi-day games um so that you know your best players are, are learning how to do it 
um, but not necessarily detracting from, um, you know, the, the trophies that um, probably have got the most uh, potential for growth and, and to build a fan base around the kind of regions. I know it's all going to change at one, t- at one time, but um, kind of, you know, really build um, build the kind of T20 Charlotte Edwards Cup and, and 100 or whatever that's going to come from that, but um, kind of have a couple of things where it's just a little bit of exposure um, over over a period of time. In terms of um, personally, um, what have you still got left to achieve? What what do you absolutely want to get done before you even think about retiring? Well, um, what a question. I think that is. Um, I think if you'd asked me that a couple of years ago, I'd have literally had a list and been like this, 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 this. Um, but I'm a bit more philosophical these days that I could hang up my boots tomorrow and I, sh- I feel I should be proud of what I've done. Um, I think now I'm playing for me. I'm playing to enjoy the game. Um, I'm playing to hopefully um, inspire new people to take up the game and um, play it play it the way that hopefully I go about my game. Hopefully, like enjoy- looking like I enjoy. Well, I do enjoy it, but most of the time I enjoy it. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, it's now just about yeah playing for me. No longer playing for accolades for world cups there's too many things that your rankings or whatever like there's too many things that you just can't control you know you can have a great season but someone could score more runs than you um or you know um an all-rounder has a store for every game or bowlers taking more wickets so there's just too many things that you just can't control anymore so um you know we could like i could play in the world cup and we have a great great tournament but you could lose one game and you're out so you know i think there's no point kind of saying oh, I want to win a World Cup because if, if I play in either of the next next two you know I can't play forever and if we just get pipped at the post there's nothing you can do about it so um yeah I think for me just enjoy the last however long I've got left yeah and and then while you do that Tammy you, you've spoken to us so nicely about the various aspects of the game you're interested in you know perhaps your roles as a commentator the way you see the game growing if you could now actually have your wish list for the future of the women's game, what would you say really must happen in the next, let's say, three years through this FTP cycle to ensure that all those things you want, you know, the sanctity of the different formats, development, competitiveness, actually happen and, and take place? In the next three years, that's tough. Um, I think... Uh, the growth of something like the WPL, I think, would be good to get that up to more teams. Um, I think potentially, um, yeah, seeing kind of maybe more teams take part in in World Cups, moving towards um, you know a model where more associate nations get better support and more opportunity to test themselves against um, better better teams. Um, I'd love to see. This might take longer, but um, I'll say even just in England, I'd love. Um, that the whole squad, you know, fifty at least fifteen players at each region is uh, full time professionals, um, and underneath potentially more, um, more help for kind of academy players and and the system in that way. Um, yeah, so much. I'd love to see um, kind of more, uh, more test matches, even like um, you know, more than one test in a series. So you know, the Ashes. The ashes stay in the ashes, but almost, you know, we could go and do a two-test series against Australia and just just see what happens. Um, see see how that goes down. I think there's a there's an appetite for it, um, and I think in general, kind of 
countries just really um, developing their domestic structure. I think you've seen how good it is when, um, you know, the likes of Australia have got full domestics. You've seen it like the way England, I think the last couple of years since that uh, full-time domestic um, contracts have come in, like the talent pool just expands exponentially. Um, so yeah, kind of the likes of the Pakistan, uh, South Africa, New Zealand kind of following suit um, to kind of really grow the depth of the game, I think is massive. Yeah, just before we let you go, it sounds to me like, you know, you've seen so much happening across cricket over time and you spoke about the young players coming through the England setup and even the things you can't control. Have you seen a, an exponential development and do you think that the England talent pool now is strong as ever, if not the strongest that you've ever known it? Oh, it's, it's definitely the strongest it's ever been. Um, I think you go, well, when I started, I was amateur. We got lottery funding. I think I got £150 a month and that was that was that for the year um and then obviously i've seen professional contracts come in and i think none of us really realized what it actually meant <laughs> to be professional at the beginning i think even even the coaching staff thought that meant we we're in nine to five every day um and that that's not really how it works for, for cricket it's actually about quality not not quantity and um not just about kind of time on task so yeah i think now um you know you got picked for england back in the day i made my debut because of potential it wasn't necessarily because of consistent performance over a number of years i mean i did all right for, for kent and um in an eight eight tour i did i did okay i didn't do anything spectacular but next thing you know i was on an england tour and you're kind of thrown in at the deep end and see see if you can swim um and i think there's enough of us that you can you know <laughs> reel off that didn't swim very well at the beginning and then had to get out of the pool and get thrown back in um you know i think i can think of myself for a while, it was almost there was one batting spot, and it was me, Amy Jones, Laura Winfield Hill, a bit, and Fran Wilson on a bit of a conveyor belt, and um, that was kind of your experience of international cricket. Whereas I think now, you you're exposed to real pressure situations in things like the hundred in the WPL, in in finals of um, the Hayhoe Flint Trophy and the Charlottewood Cup, and you know you see people like Alice Capsey come in and um, never look back. You know, pretty much uh, Sophia Dunkley is the same. I think the way that, like Lauren Filer, I think um, probably come a little bit out of nowhere when she was picked for the Test match, but actually has almost played better in an England shirt every time she's been given an opportunity. And that just didn't happen back in the day. It took a while to find your feet. It took a while for you to uh, develop into an international cricketer, give or take a couple of massive exceptions like your Nat Sivers, your Sophie Eccleston. But the rest of us all kind of had to do, you know, a lot of hard yards while while on the kind of grindstone but um now i think i think almost even with this t20 series you could pick um almost the next best 11 and they'd still perform in a way that you would want them to perform um very similar to how the the men's t20 team has been for a couple of years so um yeah i think that's that's a testament to how good the talent is in england yeah and there you have it uh huge development and growth in the game there and, and lots of very interesting thoughts from Tammy Bowman. Thank you so much for joining us here on Ladies Who Switch. Valkyrie and I will be back with more cricket action soon and Tammy, we wish you all the best out there in India.